This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. It's California Native Plant Week, officially designated by the California Native Plant Society in 2010. This year, the festivities and educational and awareness activities are scheduled all week, April 15th to the 23rd. In celebration of this, and in honor of the many Native landscapes I love and Native plants that bring beauty, life, and a deep sense of place to my home garden, this week I'm pleased to welcome Dennis Mudd. Dennis is a former tech industry CEO of endeavors such as Music Match and Slacker Radio. He is currently a philanthropist. He is also an avid native plant home gardener in Poway near San Diego. In an effort to improve his own native plant home gardening efforts, he developed the now extensive and easy-to-use online gardening resource known as CalScape. He joins us today via Skype to tell us more. Welcome, Dennis. Thanks, Jennifer. It's good to be here. So what got you started on gardening, Dennis, and what brought you to your love of native plants? It's such a great unity of of opposites, this (laughs) tech industry CEO, native plant lover. It is a little bit of a dichotomy, isn't it? But uh, for me, it all started when I picked up mountain biking. Uh, you know, and I, ha- I kind of had to do it in order to straighten out my head working crazy hours working on startups. But the more time I spent riding around the beautiful natural natural areas of San Diego, the more I really uh, fell in love with, with the, the nature of, and, and the plants that I was riding past. Where did you grow up? I grew up in San Diego, and okay. I've, I've lived various different places uh, throughout my life. Uh, but uh, it wasn't until I returned to San Diego and I guess right around 2000 that I started I started uh, spending more time in nature and learning a lot more about it. And were there sort of natural history or gardening influences in your earlier life that were latent up until this point? Or was this really just a brand new expression for you? This is really a brand new expression, and and I I don't even really think of myself as a gardener, Um, and I think of myself as more of a nature restorer. So Mm -hmm. what I've really tried to do with the with my own property is is make it as much like the the natural area around as I possibly can. I I started seriously probably in 2000 when I moved back to San Diego. Okay, Um, I was really. uh, too busy to do much gardening, uh, but I was just starting, like right around 2000, was just starting the process of becoming more knowledgeable about the uh, about the nature that I lived in. Mm-hmm. And how big is your property? Uh, it's about, uh, the main property is about two two acres, and then we have a canyon that uh, that's about five acres in the back. What was on it when you first moved there? When I first moved, or when when we the whole family first moved into this property, it was grass and palm trees and tropical plants, uh, mostly a southern sort of exposure. But it really had, you know, it required a lot of water to keep it to keep it up and running, and that really didn't have any uh, native plants whatsoever. And so, describe your your first efforts at overhauling this space. My biggest desire was that I was just having so much fun and so enjoying my mountain bike rides 
that I decided I, I, I liked that. I enjoyed that experience much more than more than palm trees and, and grass and tropical plants. Uh, I didn't know that much about it, so I just hired a landscaper. I was very busy at the time, and I said, rip out the lawn, put in native plants. And uh, that was kind of the first phase, but it, you know, I found out how little knowledge there is about California native plants in, in, in the landscaper community for the most part. So next thing I knew, my yard was full of uh, Australian, um, uh-huh. Australian and South, <laughs> South African sort of plants. And, you know, they're drought tolerant, but they weren't even native to California. Right. Your experience is not uncommon at all. And the confusion between um, where New Zealand flax comes from and kangaroo paws and what grows in our backyards is, um, is pretty widespread. Describe then the, the journey of your, your garden and landscape from that, you know, realizing, starting to realize what was happening. Well, I I, uh, I figured out pretty quickly that I didn't even have California natives in there. And so next step was I hired a, a native plant expert um, and asked him to plant real California natives in my property. Uh, and that still turned out to be too open-ended a proposition. So I, uh, the, the, the planting was primarily of cultivars um, that aren't really native to anywhere and other plants that are native to northern or central California or to coastal southern California, which... You know, really are areas that get a lot more rain or, or, um, or are much, much uh, less dry and, and more, more uh, uh, gentle sort of conditions than the inland part of San Diego that I live in. So uh, unfortunately, these plants just didn't, couldn't live for a long period of time anyway in, in the part of San Diego that I live in. And probably within three or four years, almost all the plants that were put in were dead. So that oh. was very disheartening as well. What kind of irrigation did that person put in? at that time? It was pretty much standard overhead irrigation, ah, okay. um, which, you know, works fine for a while. But mm-hmm. as I've learned more about plants, <laughs> uh, that if, if a plant, native plants, if, if a plant uh, is, is put in and it requires more rainfall than it's going to get naturally, it's probably not going to be a long-lived plant, especially in Southern California. Plants just aren't really meant to get significant amount of supplemental irrigation in the summer months. The idea of native plant in a state the size of California is just a constant conversation that I have with plant people. And this idea of locally native is so hard to get across to people who are being marketed at so aggressively by commercial plant providers. Describe for listeners the experience that led you to starting to to grasp this idea? I did a lot of reading and I, I looked a lot at the plants that were, were growing along the trails that I would ride in. And uh, I just saw the kinds of conditions that they really lived in, the kind of, the kind of mulch that they used, uh, how they pulled water a lot of times from slightly moisture areas like, uh, you know, lower slopes or nearby creeks or where you'd have islands of fertility around oak trees. And so, you know, I decided that Really, I, I think it's going to be, I'm going to have my greatest chance of success if I try to mimic nature mm-hmm. as much as possible. So have the exact plants that naturally grow in a particular location and use the exact sort of natural irrigation systems that plants use, you know, where, where some plants will be pulling up water from, from deep, uh, deeper groundwater or from, from nearby moisture areas uh, and, and try to make 
nothing, you know, have, have as little as possible something that wasn't natural. And after I started doing that, the plants started growing amazingly well. <laughs> it was uh, very exciting to see it happen that uh, it, it stopped seeing, seeing like, uh, like a failed garden and started seeing like a nature reserve. And Describe the resources that you were finding helpful at that time. The single best resource was my mountain bike. So just looking in, in nature and seeing the plants w- where they were actually growing. So uh, that that's kind of also combined with uh, I, I bought a number of, of books, uh, uh, Leichner's books on the native plants of San Diego. Um, I looked a lot at Calflora, mm-hmm. uh, Wikipedia. So it basically just became sort of an obsession that I, I needed to figure out how to identify all the plants that I saw in my particular area in San Diego. And I cataloged them by, by uh, in particular, the elevation that they, uh, that they grew at. And in nearby areas, elevation is a pretty good proxy for rainfall. That mm-hmm. As you go up into the foothills, it rains more and more. Um, and so that helped. So I, I, I looked at plants that maybe grew within five or six miles of where I live, but then we're also at approximately the same altitude mm-hmm. and also that had, um, uh, you know, that, that were on exposures that I was trying to plant or, uh, or soil types that I was trying to plant. Mm-hmm. And, and also you could kind of tell about the level of moisture. You can see how, how wet an area is or how dry an area is. And so I tried to plant uh, the plants that, that grow in the driest soils in nature and the dry soils I have in my property and the, and the, and the plants that have sl- are in slightly wetter soils in my area and the, in the wetter areas of my property. I was reading the article about the launch of Calscape on the CNPS um, website, and I believe you are quoted as saying, I am really good at collecting data and organizing it. And I can tell that that is an accurate description of you. So at what point did you come up against the world's greatest frustration as a native plant lover, and that is availability? Well, I, I am lucky that there's some great native plant nurseries in San Diego, uh, particularly Musa Creek Nursery and Recon Nursery, mm-hmm. and both grow a lot of uh, nature restoration plants. So you can't always get what you want, but I was able to get, uh, I mean, nearly every plant that I've, that I've grown, I got from those two, those two nurseries, and I, I probably have about 120 species now on my property. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. In honor of California Native Plant Week, today we're joined by Dennis Mudd, San Diegoan and co-developer with the California Native Plant Society and the Jepson Herbarium at UC Berkeley of CalScape, an online gardening resource to help homeowners find the California native plants that will work for their specific locations. We'll be back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. Before the break, we began our conversation with Dennis Mudd, graduate of UC Berkeley and founder of Slacker Radio. In an effort to improve his own understanding of which California native plants were actually native to his area when working on his own home garden, Mudd co-developed the online gardening resource and search tool known as CalScape. If you've never used it, we're going to encourage you to start now. We're just back after a break to hear more. Welcome back. At what point did you say, okay, I need to develop a tool? Like there, you know, Calflora is great. The Jepson 
herbarium's information on specific plants and species and genera online is great. But if you can't put those two together to find out what's in your area and then find availability, you're you're kind of you're a little bit stuck unless you have, you know, your kind of diligence. At what point did you say, I'm going to I'm going to make this online search tool? Well, I actually decided to do that fairly early on in the process because it is just too time consuming. And I, you know, as much as I love doing this, I have only a, a, a certain amount of time that I can allocate to to, to this research. So mm-hmm. I wanted to figure out a way to do it, to do it once and systematically, and then thinking, you know, it'd be great to be able to share this with other people as well. Cause it, as you mentioned earlier, it's really difficult to find out what plants naturally belong in any particular mm-hmm. spot in the state, not just my own property. So, uh, um, I started working with, uh, the Jepson herbarium at UC Berkeley, and they've got an incredible database of about 2 million plant observations that have been collected by, by professionals, by, uh, by botanists over the past 150 years. And uh, we use that as the basis for, um, uh, for really uh, uh, figuring out what plant belongs at any particular level. The, the tricky thing, the, the reason that we needed to create Calscape was that there's still a very small sampling. So if you look at the plants that are within a few miles of where you live, it's going to be a very small list. Uh, you really need to extrapolate from, uh, from observations. It can be many miles away. In, in our case, what we do is we look at a radius of about 10 miles, and then we figure out within a radius of 10 miles what locations match on the range that that plant grows in you know, regarding climate, temperature and humidity and precipitation um, in the given bioregion that it's in. And so we say, okay, if a, if a plant grows within 10 miles of my property, you know, if it, um, if it matches on elevation and on humidity and on uh, uh, summer rainfall and winter rainfall and low temperature and high temperature, then we say that that plant naturally would grow in this particular location. Give us a scenario. Last summer, mm-hmm. I went hiking um, up in Northern California. I mm-hmm. think one of the things that we should point out and is that one of the fabulous things about being a gardener and a native plant lover in the state of California is that we have, we are a biodiversity hotspot on the planet. We have more native plants than most other places. And so we have this fantastic range. Now, of course, they don't all work in our exact area. They aren't all local to us, and they don't all have availability in the trade, whether it be commercial or small independent native plant nurseries. But still, our our choices are far greater than many other gardeners might experience. So this is part of the fun, but mm-hmm. you know, therein also lies some of this um, frustration of identifying, locating. So I'm, you know, I head up to Mount Shasta. I decide to climb Mount Eddy. I'm climbing Mount Eddy. It's breathtakingly beautiful, and there are literally more Areogonum varieties. Um, whether or not they're species, I don't know because I'm just the happy hiker walking along thinking, I wonder what all these are. So I come home and my friend up in Mount Shasta, a botanist, Julie Nelson says, go on Calscape. So walk us through that. What do I do? I come home. I 
log on to Calscape, and then what? The way it's set up is that you, you have a map or an address window where you can click or enter in an exact location in the state. So probably the easiest thing to do would, would be to go to Advanced Search in Calscape, click on the map in a particular location around Mount Eddy, and then type at the very, at very bottom, there's another field that you can type in the genus, and it will show you all the plants that we estimate, or all the, uh, all the buckwheats that we estimate are, are native to that location. So there's 17, I just pulled that up, there's 17 buckwheats that are native to sort of a mid-elevation spot on Mount Eddy. Mm-hmm. There's an awful lot of plants that are very specific in terms of their elevation. So as you go up higher and higher in elevation in, in, uh, in Mount Eddy, you're going to see different buckwheats right. or, you know, or, or lower and lower. And so this tool, it, it, you know, it's very, that's a very specific requirement, but it's going to do its best to, to tell you what plants we know of grow at those, uh, the elevation of a particular spot, even in a, in a location as specific as Mount Eddy. And so then I say, I really want to try and grow in my home garden two or three of those that I saw today. So mm-hmm. then as a home gardener, what does Calscape do for me? So, so then what you might do is, uh, is instead of typing in Mount Eddy, type in your address. And so you can type in your address and then also go to the, the same field and type in buckwheat. And it's going to tell you all the buckwheats that should grow at your particular elevation and in the spot with your particular climate um, uh, characteristics and you can see, you know, which which of those on which of the, the the plants that grow on Mount Mount Eddy would also grow on your particular property. What what other kinds of information will Calscape provide? Well, uh, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because just because uh, a plant is likely going to be native to a particular spot uh, doesn't mean it's going to grow in every location in that spot, or even any any particular uh, soil conditions, for example, or mm-hmm. or uh, or sun exposure. So uh, what we tried to do is, for at least the plants that you can get through nurseries, we've tried to tell people uh, what kind of uh, of soil, what kind of drainage, what 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 type of sun, uh, any sort of characteristics like a serpentine soils or you know clay soils or very rocky soils that the, the a particular plant uh, requires. So the best thing is to look through the the profile that's written on every plant and find one that uh, that matches up with not only the the right geographic location but also the right site location for where you're trying to plant. And it gives all kinds of information about how big it might grow, how soon it might do that, what kind of water it might need in terms of what it comes from, you know, originally in in the wild. Where did that data come from? Uh, An awful lot of this data has been input by CNPS volunteers. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So experts in different plants will go into the the editor and uh, um, add information. So a lot of this has been building up from the most knowledgeable people at CNPS over the last five or five years or so. Is there a place, just on a kind of citizen science basis level, is there a public input? Yeah, is really anybody can create an account and edit the information. Uh, uh, now, I, I review that information, and there's other people at, at the CNPS that review the information, so we can, might override something that doesn't appear to be accurate. But it's amazing how little inaccurate information is provided mm-hmm. by volunteer editors. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so for example, with regards to height and width, 
we added a, a range uh, um, option now. So people can type in a min and a max uh, mm -hmm. for the height and the width. And so now that's gradually being filled out over time as people put in uh, not just the, the largest example of the species, but but uh, 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 kind of the, the minimum as well. So you, people will still see the range of height and width of the plants. So back to your garden. I, I know that you are very proud of the biomimicry and your, uh, of both the sighting of the plants, the as assembling of the different groupings of the sort of native irrigation elements and native and biomimicry mulch aspects, and that it, it is sort of a, an ecological restoration kind of garden. But I will tell you that any gardener who sees the photographs of your garden or who might have the opportunity to visit it in person will say without a question, that is a garden. It is very <laughs> beautiful. It is very floriferous. The hardscape elements all work really beautifully with the plants. So for uh, listeners, give us a description of your garden as you walk into it. It's hard to describe because uh, you're right. I have tried to make this as beautiful as possible, and there's there been, you know, one, one of the things I try to do is uh, is put like somewhat smaller plants uh, in the areas that are more likely to be viewed, and then get larger and larger as they go back. Mm -hmm. But I try, I try to make that always secondary to putting plants where they naturally belong. There's there's nothing that's so sad as a native plant garden where plants aren't thriving. So that, that's kind of the very first requirement, and and within that, then I try to make it as pretty as possible, and and uh, and create nice mounding shapes, and let me see the most beautiful specimen plants from from uh, from view viewpoints. What I've tried to do is is create uh, like a little little stream that's that catch that catches all the water uh, when it rains, mm -hmm. and that I also can irrigate a little bit in the summer. And uh, plants reach the roots out to that little wetter area, and they share the uh, they share the moisture throughout the drier parts of the garden. So that's sort of a nice element. Uh, in the in the back, uh, there's a real nice view, so you can see all the way down the canyon and to the other side. And I've, I've tried to uh, put a lot of beautiful flowering plants, ceanothus for the most part, probably. Uh, there, so that becomes a spectacular view during during the blooming season. Anyway, we're lucky enough; we have a lot of native ceanothus that grow in this part of Poway and at my particular elevation. So I have ceanothus tomentosus, crassifolius, uh, varicosus, uh, leucodermis. And what are your other big genera that are represented in your garden? I love uh, oak trees; they're uh, they're really fantastic, beautiful plants and uh, trees. They really they're important for the whole health of the landscape. You know, they make everything around. They're, they create a very, uh, just uh, amazingly healthy mulch. Great for attracting birds. So I have a lot of a Quercus agrifolia and uh, an Engelmanii and a handful of scrub oaks. Uh, Arctostaphylus are spectacular and beautiful. Um, a lot of Circocarpus. The mountain and, mahoganies. So San Diego mountain mahogany and just the, the plain mountain mahogany. And a lot of rebes. So I, I love uh, white white flowering currant. It's an amazing smell. Just the, the, the fragrance is incredible in the spring and uh, certainly it attracts a lot of birds. So, mm -hmm. but, but in general, I, I'm a big, I love the diversity. So I'm, I'm sort of a fan of as much as I can get away with uh, to plant 
more and more species that are kind of in their little perfect niche in in the property and and it just creates i think with the with the botanical diversity it just creates uh, it, it helps create the beautiful natural vibe um, and attract more different sort of diverse animals and birds so that's an important part for, important thing for me too and you tell me again how many different plant species you now have in the garden i guess it's about 120 now one of the things which you have mentioned a couple of times, you have a fantastic biomimicry rodent control. Tell us about your what, bird diversity. Well, it really, uh, we, we, I, I counted about 40 bird species. So as I've, I've got more into plants, I've also gotten more into birds just to identify the incredible diversity of, uh, of bird life that is now flying around all the time. Uh, but one of the biggest issues that I had when I was creating this is there was a lot of rodents that this attracted. So it attracted a lot of rabbits, squirrels, uh, um, wood rats. Um, and, uh, they're an important part of nature, but they're really getting under control and I didn't want to poison them. Um, so I just, uh, I, I found that for the most part, the native plants could survive being, being eaten a little bit by the various different rodents, but it, they'd still get decimated sometimes. They'd, they'd come back, but the cultivars would die, but the native plants would just hang on and they'd come back the next season. But it was clear that the uh, the garden was out of balance. And then the uh, the owls started coming in, so that changed everything. Uh, I uh, We have uh, noticed a family of owls come in a couple years ago and got some great pictures of uh, of of four little owlets uh, before they even learn to fly. And uh, every, uh, pretty much every night now, we hear either them or their grandchildren uh, uh, doing their, their, the great, great horned owl hooting. And uh, they, uh, they have done a fantastic job of keeping the, uh, keeping the rodent population under control. And it's, it really is wonderful having, uh, having particularly the raptors around, the great horned owls, uh, the, uh, uh, the red-tailed hawks are all over the place. A lot of roadrunners also help help keep things in balance. And just um, it's I think it it really is a is a it's a very important part of nature restoration of, um, of native plant gardening. If you're going to really rely on on biomimicry to make sure that you have the the animal life in balance. Mm -hmm. And I think, of course, one of the things that helps keep it in balance is that great diversity of plant life that you have provided. I, for one, just want to thank you, Dennis Mudd, for developing Calscape because it makes us all better native plant gardeners, and it makes it a lot more fun and a lot more accurate. So thank you. Thanks so much, Jennifer. It's you know, definitely what I wanted to do when I uh, started starting to create this. It was, I get such a pleasure out of living in a natural spot, and I, was, I, was, I'm, I hoped that Calscape would help people do the same things with their own properties. Excellent. Thank you so much for being a guest today, Dennis. Thank you. Dennis Mudd is a former tech industry CEO of endeavors such as Music Match and Slacker Radio. He is also an avid native plant home gardener in Poway near San Diego. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Thank you for listening. For this week's audio archive or to subscribe to the podcast, please visit mynspr.org. For more information, including many photos on this week's episode, please visit jewelgarden.com. For daily photos and more, follow Cultivating Place on Instagram and Facebook. 
Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and JewelGarden.com. The program is made possible in part by the Stanley Smith Horticultural Trust. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.